If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Gospel according to John. Uh, and if you could turn it to the seventh chapter. We've been walking through John for a while and we'll continue to do so. Um, and so as you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible with you, if you look at the pew in front of you, there's a Bible right there and it says the story. It's green on top. Um, it is a Bible. It just says the story because that's a gospel presentation that's in the beginning of it. If you don't own a Bible or need a Bible, uh, you're welcome to take that as our gift to you and use that uh, for your own. Um, but as you're turning there, one of the things I, I was thinking about is, you know, things are not always as they appear, are they? Yeah, I think back to, you know, we see it all the time on these uh, performance-based reality shows, whatever you call them, these contest shows like American Idol and The Voice. You see somebody come up there and you think, man, there's no way that person can sing, right? And then all of a sudden, who was it several years ago? Was it Susan Boyle? Like, she got up there and just like, I mean, just like a firestorm all over the internet. It was amazing. I mean, she was just, I mean, blew everybody away with just surprising you with her her voice. And, and so my wife does that sometimes. She's this petite little little bitty white girl, and, and I've been told that when she sings, there's like a large black woman that lives inside of her or something. Um, and so I don't know if that was okay to say out loud, but we're going to go with it. Um, you know, and when I was in college, there was a thing like this. Me and my, in, in my dorm, all these guys, you know, you get a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-old guys in a dorm. It's really just, I, why they put a bunch of guys in dorms, I don't, it's, it's really a recipe for disaster, isn't it? And so what we would do is we would all pull our mattresses out in the hallway and we would have wrestling matches. And, and see, I don't have a whole lot of great form when it comes to wrestling, but I've got a lot of grit. And I've got a lot of staying power. Like, I have a pretty high threshold for pain. And so I won a lot of those matches, not because I was the better wrestler, because I would just let them put me in their submission hole. And I would just grit and just wait. It hurt so bad. But I, would just, I would wait them out until they started getting tired. And then when they started getting tired, then I would just throw whatever I could come up with off the top of my head on them. And, and I won several matches like that. And it was just a blast. But there's this one guy who, you know, and I got to where I was probably in the top three. There was, there was two guys that were definitely better than me. I was probably in the top three in that dorm and, and wrestling. We did it a lot. And then the, this one guy shows up. I mean, he's about this tall. And he's about this big around. And it's not muscle. You know, like, probably more like what I look like right now. And uh, I looked maybe a little less round back then. And, uh, and so this guy's, you know, he's just short. He's round. I mean, his arms are kind of flabby. And, and so he's like, all right, Jimbo, I want to wrestle you. And I was like, oh, man, don't worry. Don't do that. And he was like, no, man, I want to wrestle you. And I was like, all right, let's go. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. It took that man two seconds to make me submit. Like, out of nowhere, this short, rotund, flabby-looking dude just would just annihilate me. And I thought, that was a fluke. That was a fluke. Let's try this again. And so we go for it again. And sure enough, I mean, within, within two seconds, the guy just dominated me again. And I thought, this is crazy. I tried a third time because... You know, as a fool return, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool to his folly is what the proverbs say. And so I return again, and I try again, and and I'm thinking, man, come on, I, I gotta be able to beat this dude. There's no way I can't. I mean, at least I gotta last 30 seconds, right? I get in there again. I can't last more than five seconds with this guy, and he he ends up beating everybody, becomes the top guy on the floor, and it's because he had trained his entire life in jujitsu. Now, you wouldn't know that looking at this guy, right? You, you would never, ever in your life, like if you're going to go to the gas station and mug somebody and that dude pulls up, you think, that's the guy I'm going to mug. That's the safest guy for me to mug because I'm probably going to walk away fine. He's probably going to cower. Do not mug this guy. 
He's a high school teacher now, and I can just imagine the scenarios in which he breaks up fights and, and all these things. And so things aren't, we, we can't always just judge things off of how they look. And that's what this story is about today. Really, we left off in verse 13, but I want to start in verse 12 today, because I think verse 12 of chapter 7 kind of poses a question, and then our last verse for today, verse 24, kind of answers that question about who Jesus is. And so, just to give you a little background context of what's going on before we read the passage, in case you weren't here uh, in some of the previous weeks. And so, if, so Jesus is hanging out in Galilee, because uh, he doesn't want to go to Judea, because in Judea they're plotting, the Jewish leaders are plotting to kill him. It's not that he's scared to be killed. So don't ever mis- mistake what Jesus' motives are here. He's not cowering in fear not going to Judea. As a matter of fact, his brothers try to get him to go to Judea and make a big show. Their thought is like, this is the Super Bowl of all the Jewish feasts, and if you could just drop in and show out big time, the whole world would believe in you. And Jesus' response to them is that, look, I've got to wait until it is God's timing until it is the Father's timing and my timing to get up there at the perfect time, and i got to do it the way that God has it, not your way, because I'm just like his brothers. I've always thought that. Man, why doesn't God just, boom, at the Super Bowl, show up while millions are watching and, and make something happen? But he's got his way that he does things, and believe it or not, he's smarter than me. And so that, well, that was supposed to be funny. And so Jesus tells his brothers, look, you can go whenever you want. Because really, you are so outside of following God's timeline for your life that it doesn't even matter if you break off the timeline because you're already so broken off of God's timeline and plan for your life that just go ahead and do what you're going to do because you're going to do it anyway, right? And so then Jesus waits for his timing and he goes up. It's the Feast of Booths, which is one of the three annual festivals that all men are required to come back to Jerusalem for. And this is the one where they remember what it was like for the 40 years in the wilderness. So they build, the reason it's called the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles is they build these, these booths or tabernacles like out of, out of wood and leaves and there's the makeshift little booths to live in. And they live in those things for a week out of remembrance of what happened and how God provided for those 40 years in the wilderness and how they had to live in makeshift stuff for those 40 years. And so also part of the 40 years, there's these water pouring rituals, which is why we're calling this series Living Water. You'll get more of that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but there was these water pouring rituals, remembering how God provided water as, as Moses struck the rock and as they were able to get water from God. And so all these things are going on. And as a matter of fact, out of the three festivals, this is the most popular. This is the one that really, they're all supposed to go to all three, but this is the one that the most really make plans to get to. And so his brothers are wanting him to go up there. He's waiting till the right time. So Jesus then, after his brothers, his brothers go ahead of him. And after his brothers, Jesus goes a few days later, and he kind of goes incognito at first. And when he gets there, everybody's talking about him. They don't know that it's him, but everybody's talking about him. And some people are saying that Jesus is a good man, and some people are saying uh, that he just leads everybody astray and he's a charlatan. And so Jesus is incognito, and he steps up, and he starts teaching. And so let's open up. If you will please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. We do this here because we are thoroughly convinced that this is far more important than anything I'll say that this is the inspired, inerrant word of God, and that no matter what, this is the authority. If I say anything that goes against this, then you, you take this over me. All right, so starting in verse 12, to kick back into last week a little bit. 
And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? And Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I have made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word, my prayer is that this that you be magnified, that you speak louder than me. Lord, I am humbled and overwhelmed by the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, my prayer is that all of us will hear from you this morning, that your Holy Spirit will speak, and that we will see that you are the one true God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So with that context, so Jesus knows they're trying to kill him. We know that because back in John chapter 5, you go back to John chapter 5, and on the Sabbath, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, and he heals this man. And if you go back in the podcast and listen to that sermon, I'm convinced Jesus picked that guy, and he did it on the Sabbath just to stir things up with the Jewish leaders. I'm convinced, looking at a lot of that, that his whole purpose was to have this conversation with the Jewish leaders. That he wanted to kind of, he could have waited till the next day, right? He could have done it the day before. But he chose to do it on the Sabbath, and he chose to do it in such a way, and he chose to tell, he told this man. When he healed him, he told this man, this man had been lame for over 30 years, and Jesus tells this man, pick up your mat and walk. And what was the most controversial thing about this thing is that the guy picked up his mat. See, on the Sabbath, they took this whole Sabbath thing so seriously that you have to understand that you have the Old Testament laws that we have that we can find in the Scriptures, and then to protect the Old Testament laws, because let's be honest, I understand why they would do this. I I get it. Because if you read the Old Testament, God gets pretty serious about His laws. If you read the Old Testament, I mean, there's some... There seemingly harsh reactions when things don't go the way that God said it should go. People die, people get leprosy, all is a reaction to that. And so uh, to protect themselves from ever messing up, even of breaking God's law, they, they kind of built these other laws around the laws that we have in the Old Testament. So they started to create these other things as like a gate, as a protection around those laws, as a way to say, we're going to, you know, not only should you observe the Sabbath, keep it holy, not work, 
we're going to come up with what that even means. And so they started to come up with all these things of, of what that means. And, and even to this day in, in Orthodox Jewish areas, we talked about this, in Orthodox Jewish areas, there are what's called Sabbath elevators because pressing a button would be work. And so on the Sabbath, these elevators just run nonstop up and down, and they open at every floor so that a Jew could get into, a modern Jew could observe the Sabbath and never work by getting into this elevator and just it's going to open at every floor, and they're going to wait until they get to their right floor, and that way they never have to press a button because pressing that button would be work, and it would dishonor God on the Sabbath. And see, they start to build all these laws around it and all these laws around those laws. And it starts to become this crazy thing. But the problem is, when you do that, you can't even see the heart of what's really going on, can you? So Jesus intentionally messes with them. Jesus picks this guy, and he heals him. And then he says, pick up your mat and walk. So, man, they're outraged. They're mad at Jesus. And how dare you? heal somebody on the Sabbath. And I love that. I, always, I joked when we preached that, like, that would be so crazy. That'd be like if there was somebody that we've known that was handicapped for their entire life. I mean, they've never walked ever once, and they always sit up here up front. And in the middle of me preaching about God healing, they decided to get up and start. And, they, and when they got up, man, they were so excited because they've never walked. And they started dancing up and down the aisle. And somebody said, could you please sit down? I'm trying to pay attention to the sermon. Look, if that happens at that point, I, I'm, I'm going to stop preaching for a second because something happened and we got to, we got to, and so this is what these guys are doing. Instead of going, this guy's been lame for 30 something years and he can now get up, he can pick up his mat, he can walk. Instead of, instead of celebrating that at all, they're focused on the fact that should have done this yesterday. Wait till tomorrow. How dare you dishonor God? By breaking the Sabbath. See, this is key to the story, and we'll see more in a minute why. And so Jesus says, basically, I'm not going to give you the paraphrase instead of preaching that sermon all over again. Basically, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I can do whatever I want on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is mine, and so are you. I mean, Jesus really starts talking trash, and he really upsets these guys. And this is when we see, you're not going to read it, but if you were to go back to John 5.18, you see this is when they begin to plot to kill him. So now he shows up again, and he's been incognito, and all of a sudden he gets up and teaches. And not only does he teach, I mean, he obviously throws down. I mean, he, he brings the word, and he brings it well. And I love, I, I'm, not love I'm fascinated by the fact that it doesn't tell us anything that he teaches. In several places, we do get sermons or discourses that Jesus teaches. All we know is that he, he walks up in the temple. He quits being incognito. He probably sits down because that's the custom. People gather around him because they've been talking about him. And they want to know who this guy is. And he just starts teaching. And he starts teaching in such a bold and powerful way that the, the Jewish leaders don't even know how to argue with anything he's saying. He's expounding the Old Testament scriptures about himself, probably making some crazy divine claims like he has been doing. And he does it so well that it seems they don't even have an argument against him. And so they just come at him and argue at him and not his arguments. And they go, who is this guy? He's never been to seminary. He's never been to a rabbinical school. How does this guy even know anything about the Old Testament? He's never even been educated. See, what you got to understand is when... When these Jewish leaders would teach, 
because of the way that they've built these laws around laws, around laws, around laws, and they, they got so distant from the actual word of God, what they would do is they would, when they taught, they would end up quoting this rabbi who then quoted that rabbi who then quoted that rabbi, and they're, they're about seven, eight rabbis deep, and they're not even touching the word of God. And their whole authority was, I learned it from this rabbi who learned from this rabbi who learned from this rabbi who learned from this rabbi. And they're going, Jesus isn't claiming any rabbis. Jesus isn't claiming any critical sources here. He's just going to the Old Testament scriptures like he knows them or something. Who is this guy? No rabbis taught him this. How should we trust anything that he says? The difference is that Jesus, unlike these guys, spoke with authority. Jesus speaks with authority. Let's read 14 through 18 again. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So Jesus says a lot here. Jesus says a lot in, the, in this response to them. Because the response is, You're not citing any sources. You're not citing any authority from which you learned all this. And Jesus says, you know what? To some degree, you're right. I'm not teaching you just my own things that I came up with my own. Because you got to understand, there's no way for them to see him as anything other than a Jewish guy from Galilee. They don't know anything else. They know that he hasn't been to school. There's There's a lot of other people all throughout history claiming to be the Messiah. So what makes this guy different? They know this. They know that he frustrates the mess out of them, and they don't want him to be the Messiah. And so there's no way. There's no way. This guy is so against everything I ever thought the Messiah would be. There's no way he's the Messiah. He's never even been to school. See, they thought that the Messiah would come up through their system. We do that sometimes. We want Jesus to work the way we think the world works. And Jesus says, you know what? It doesn't come from me. My authority actually comes from the one who sent me. Now, this is a bold claim, but it's one that you can't even test, right? I mean, anybody can say this. I mean, I I went to a a Christian college for a while, and I know the guys used this all the time. God told me we should date. Well, how do you argue with that? I had a girl tell me that once. And I said, well, when God tells me, I'll let you know. I wasn't the nicest guy back then. There's no way to argue against that when somebody says, well, God told me that. Okay. How do we verify that? What do we, what do, we do with that? But Jesus is claiming, yes, this isn't of my own. I didn't, this isn't, Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, I didn't just study the Old Testament here and tell you what I'm thinking. I got this straight from heaven. And then he goes, here's the deal. You want to know whether my teaching is right? You want to know, here, here's the deal. You want to know whether I'm right or not? I'm going to tell you I'm claiming this is from God, but how do you test that? Here's how you know if my teaching is right or not. If you 
Put God's will over your will. Submit yourself entirely to his system, his will, his way of the world. No matter what that means for you, no matter how that plays out, if you're willing to just go, I freely, completely submit myself unto you, God, he'll reveal it to you whether I'm right or not. He'll let you know. That's again, this is a bold claim. But here's what I love about Jesus' claim. He doesn't, even though he could. Because understand, he is God. And he's claimed that before. I'm assuming he probably claimed that in his teaching in the temple. But he doesn't say, if you submit yourself unto me fully, then you'll understand. Because there have been fake messiahs that have done that as well. And they've gotten people to do crazy things like drink Kool-Aid. But he says, the God you assume you serve. If you'll take your agenda off the table and submit yourself entirely unto him, not me, him, as you do that, you'll know whether my teaching is right or not. Now that's powerful. Sometimes you just have to dive in to fully understand something. One of the things that Audrey and I have a lot of conversations with people about here is there's been a culture adjustment for us. We've been here a little more than a year now. But after living in New Orleans for as long as we did, you got to understand. And it's one of those things you just can't get unless you've lived there. New Orleans is one of the most unique cities in the entire world. As a matter of fact, here's a couple of, of examples for you. There was the, the Southern Baptist Convention used to have what instead of now we have the international mission board and the north american mission board what used to just be the mission board and and it was just it was everything all together and then they decided one day that they would become at that point what they called it was the foreign mission board and the home mission board and when that split happened from the foreign mission board and home mission board there was much debate over who would have jurisdiction over new orleans true story because new orleans is so different that the home mission board didn't want it. They thought, our strategies of how we reach every other city in America doesn't work in New Orleans because of how unique that city is. And so uh, it ended up being under the jurisdiction for many years of the foreign mission board, the only U.S. city that was under the jurisdiction of the foreign mission board. It's like a foreign country. It's so, they, they have their own language. They have their, I mean, like everything's so different. I could, we could talk for hours about how different everything is and, and what a cultural adjustment it's been for us getting those. But listen, this is one of those things you can't even get by visiting New Orleans. Like you visit New Orleans and you think you understand how different New Orleans is, but until you live there and have lived there for a while, it's like you just don't get it. Until you've submitted yourself fully into that city, you can't understand that city. Well, Jesus says, until you submit yourself completely unto my Father, you're just not going to get whether my teaching is real or not. You'll continue to be skeptical. So listen, here's what I want to challenge you today. I'm betting, because just from experience, I'm betting that there's something God has been twisting in on you for a while. Something you need to repent of, something you need to step out in obedience and faith on, something you need to chisel, have God chisel out of your life, something, a discipline you need to add to your life, a relationship you need to get rid of, a relationship you need to go deeper on, 
I don't know what it is for you, but I know this. I know that we're not perfect and that sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ, is a progressive thing. It's a, it's a process which we continually are to be moving in. So because of that, I know that there's something in your life that if you were listening, God is trying to say, let's just let's move a little in this direction. And maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you don't get it. If you're willing to submit yourself to God's will, not mine as your preacher, not your spouse's, not your boss's, not your neighbor's, not your best friend's, not your children's, but if you're willing to submit yourself completely under God's will, not knowing how that's going to play out, understand this, I don't know how that's going to play out for you. I'm not promising you it's going to go the way you want it to go. I am promising you that he can be trusted. When you completely submit yourself unto his will and let him speak with authority into your life, you'll see whether these claims he has are true or not. We see that Jesus speaks in authority in the other gospel accounts as well. In Matthew seven twenty-eight and 29, it says it like this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes do. And then in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, we see it says it like this. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Same thing, we see it in Luke chapter 4, verses 22. He says, and it all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said... Is not this Joseph's son? See, here's what they got. They, they were blown away because they're going, this is the son of a carpenter from Galilee, born in Nazareth. And under, you got to understand all the cultural implications of that. In other words, this is some west side redneck. What does he have to say that we should be listening to? Yet they're blown away every time he teaches. He teaches unlike anyone else out there. The letter of the law. So then Jesus starts going in on them about the law in verses 19 through 23. It says, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So why does he say that? Why does he say, why do you seek to kill me? He's not worried about this. He's He's not saying, please don't kill me. He's saying, you're so upset about the fact that I healed a man on the Sabbath that you're plotting to murder me and you fail to see the irony in that. Right? This is what he's saying. He's saying, you're so mad and you're so uptight about the fact that I healed a guy. He was lame and now he walks. And because I did that on the Sabbath, you want to murder me. I don't know if you remember this. It's kind of in the top ten. Thou shalt not kill, right? And so this is what he's pointing out. Do you not see the irony in the fact that you're trying to kill me for breaking the Sabbath? Psalm 48. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Understand that the law was never meant to save us. The law condemns. 
Listen, we cannot uphold the law of God. There is literally no possible way you can be good enough. You go to Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, Jesus makes it so much harder to say that you follow the Ten Commandments. Because he says, if you've got malice in your heart towards your brother, which happens to me on a fairly regular basis in traffic, anger just wells up in me in traffic. And I'm always reminded, and Jesus said, if you've got malice in your heart towards your brother, you've already killed him. You're a murderer. He says, if you look at a person lustfully with your eyes, you're an adulterer. I don't know if you know this, but your pastor is a murderer and adulterer. And you are too. Jesus makes it so much harder. Like, even if we just try to go off the Old Testament law, you're going to fail. But then if you go with Jesus' qualifications of how he does it, we super fail. But the law also drives us to grace. Here's the thing. Sometimes we get so, we feel so imprisoned by the law. I kind of feel free by it. Let me explain. I feel free by the fact that I know I can't do it. And Jesus loves me anyway. I I feel free by the fact, I love, in the song we sang, it said, the vilest offender. I thought, man, that's me. The vilest offender. Jesus loves the vilest offender. Understand, Jesus' grace is so scandalous. It doesn't matter what you've done. His grace is sufficient. That's powerful, people. That's, I mean, you, listen, the darkest parts of your mind, the darkest thoughts, the darkest deeds you've ever done, Jesus knows every single, the ones that you did yesterday, the ones that you did last night, the ones you'll do this afternoon and tomorrow, Jesus knows all of those. And in the midst of that, he says, I love you and I want you to be my child. Not only do I want to forgive you, I want to bless you, I want to adopt you, I want to give you an inheritance. I want to love you with a love that you can't understand. I want to give you a peace that you just can't grasp. I want to give you the world. If you'll just submit yourself unto me, unto my will. The law leads to love. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. This desire to be obedient, not, not just to be obedient because it's just like I desire, I desire for my wife when she goes off yesterday, not to, this is definitely not bragging about me because I'm not very good at the house, but she leaves and she goes to something yesterday and I did everything I could to get the house clean before she got home. Not because if it's not, she's going to yell at me. She's not going to. Because I just, I desire, I desire for her to come home and be blessed, right? I desire for her to come home and be like, ah, This is that desire of the law that the psalmist is talking about here. Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. For the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. 
So Jesus brings up Moses and circumcision. Real fast, I want to explain. We're going to go back to my story in John 5 for a second. See, first, though, you've got to understand why they did circumcision. So he, Jesus gives this parenthetical statement. He says, he said, did Moses not give you the law? And he talks about Moses giving circumcision. He goes, not that Moses gave it to you, but the fathers did. Because, see, Moses is before, I mean, the circumcision is before Moses. It actually came from Abraham, right? Remember the covenant with Abraham. So it comes before that. So here's the deal. The law given was that you had to circumcise on the eighth day. So what do you do if the eighth day falls on the Sabbath? Well, obviously, they're pretty rigorous about not doing work on the Sabbath. But what they decided is that this law predated uh, the, the Sabbath law, and so that it could override it, right? And so they would say, if, if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath, they would go ahead and circumcise on that day. And here's why. They viewed circumcision as a perfection, uh, as perfecting a part of the body. So here's, here's why this is key. Listen to this. So think about this. Their view of circumcision is perfecting part of the body, and so they're able to do it on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says, you choose to break the Sabbath law by doing circumcision on the eighth day, on a Sabbath, because you think it's the perfecting of the body, yet I heal the entire body of a man, and you're upset. Do you realize sometimes we get upset with God because he did what we wanted? You know, I, I was praying about something the other day that I wanted God to be clear with me on and whether I was supposed to go a certain direction on something or not. And really what I wanted him to say was, yes, you're supposed to go that direction. And so I pray that morning with a friend. Pray, Lord, please let me know. Lord, this week. See, I pray specifically. I think you should do that. Not that you hold God to things, but just pray specifically and see what God does. I think it'll blow your mind sometimes. And so I pray specifically, and I said, God, this week I want an answer on this thing that I'm trying to pursue and whether this should happen or not. And I got my answer that day. The answer was no. I thought, all right, God, maybe I should have prayed more specifically. Give me a yes this week. And sometimes we're upset that God does what we ask. See, they're saying we can perfect part of the body on the Sabbath. He says, I can perfect the whole thing. See, not only was it Jesus' teaching that made him stand out, it was the way that he did life, the miracles that he did, the deeds that he did. But it's this mix of the deeds and the teaching. And so he's showing them that, yes, the law is important, but don't miss it by following the letter of the law. Not to say that we should bend laws or anything like that, but understand the purpose of the law. See, he's one of those that's such a, these people are such rule followers, like my oldest son, Tripp. My oldest son loves to follow the rules. And as a matter of fact, if, if we go to Chick-fil-A and the rules are that you have to have socks on in the playground area and he sees a kid without socks, he will gladly come tell us that there's a kid without socks in the play area, and he'll want to go tell that person's mom that their kid should not be in the play area because it's against the rules. And we'll go, nobody. He goes, but it's against the rules. And see, this was the mindset that some of these people had is it doesn't matter if you healed him. It was the Sabbath, and that's all that matters. They were so in love with their traditions and so in love with their way of life that they missed the one who was life walking right in front of them. So, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. I said this earlier, John seven twelve kind of poses a question. 
In John 7, 12, it says, And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said no, he is leading the people astray. If we go to the end of our passage, John seven twenty four, we see, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, several things about when Jesus says this. One, this is actually an Old Testament quotation from about four different places, and I love how Jesus does that. Jesus, like, just randomly answers questions with Old Testament quotations. And you look at those, and I don't have time to go into it, but there's power in all those, and so you should look that up yourself. I'm going to give you a little homework there. Uh, but Jesus answers with this Old Testament quotation of, of, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And so their question is, who is this guy, Jesus? We don't know who he is. Is he a good man? Is he a charlatan? And he says, I'm neither. I am the Son of God. I am the giver of life. I am the teacher of all things. I am the creator of the universe. Don't judge by appearances. Just because you see a Jewish carpenter standing before you doesn't mean it's not God in the flesh. How do we know the will of God in order to submit to it? 1 Corinthians 1, 12 through 16. The Apostle Paul here says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Verse 16, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Here's what I'm getting to. Paul says, listen, it's not about me. And here's what I want you to understand for me from the pulpit standing here. It's not about Jimbo. It's not about Hibernia at Hyde Park. It's not about Hibernia Baptist Church, Fleming Island. This has to be about Jesus or nothing else. Coming to church not, will help your marriage. It has obviously the possibility of doing that. It will help you if you let us disciple you and teach you how to manage finances, how to do better at work, how to beat addictions, how to do all those things. But listen, if it's not about Jesus, then it doesn't matter. If it's not about Jesus, then it may last you 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. But if it's about Jesus, then it lasts you forever. See, it's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It doesn't matter who baptized you. It doesn't matter what teacher you follow. The only teacher that you follow, the only authority that you follow has got to be Jesus Christ. And if you follow a teacher that teaches you his own ideas more than he points to the scripture, then you're following someone you shouldn't follow. I pray that anyone that stands in the pulpit do it with much trepidation and fear in their heart before they stand representing God himself. And you better be careful. You better be in the word. Every time. The world's got a lot of wisdom to give you. And if we're not careful, we're going to build our own ideas around God's ideas and then our own ideas around those ideas and our own ideas around those ideas. And then eventually we get so far from God that we don't even need scripture anymore we've got great quippy little sayings that we try to live by we end up with quippy little sayings that we think are in the bible that aren't like god will never give you more than you can handle which is a blatant lie he will continually give you more than you can handle so that you will be dependent upon him romans 12 1 and 2 our last passage 
The Apostle Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. This is my last appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's the deal. Jesus shows up incognito to this big festival. And then he reveals himself and he sits down and he teaches and he blows everybody away with his teaching. And the question they're asking before he even gets there, is this this guy a good man or is he a charlatan? And his answer is, I am neither. And if you want to know whether my teaching is right or not, you have to completely submit yourself unto God's will. And when you completely submit yourself unto God's will, when you have the desire of obedience, when you pursue that in your life, then then it will be revealed to you whether my teaching is right or not. So understand this. How do we, how do we follow his will? We dive in. We be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We set our mind on the things of the Spirit. We pursue Jesus more than we pursue anything else. We pursue the will of God more than we pursue anything else. Not works-based, but grace-driven effort. We go after it. We go after Jesus in our lives more than we go after anything else. We pursue it more than we pursue our career. We pursue it more than we pursue a good marriage. We pursue it more than we pursue being a good parent. We pursue it more than we pursue being a good neighbor. We make it our everything. We, we make this our foundation, not podcasts and playlists, but this our foundation. And we be willing to submit unto it no matter what it says. We make Jesus our Lord and not just our Savior. He says there's no option of that. He says there's no option of me just letting you get a ticket to heaven. First, you must submit yourself to his will. Make him the Lord of your life. He wants all or nothing. Your reward is that you get all in return, more than you could ever get on your own, a full inheritance as a child of God. Let's pray.